Welcome to the Cornerstone Christian Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Jim Tarr. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit cccbasalt.com. Let's get right into the Word of God, Revelation chapter 3. Revelation, if you're new to exploring the things about God and things of God, is a book that predicts the future. God has done that throughout the scriptures. He's let us know there's a day of coming. There's a day first that's coming that'll be a day of a great trouble upon the earth. It will last for seven years, the scriptures teach us, both in the Old Testament, in the book of Daniel, as well as it's revealed in the New Testament in this book called the book of Revelation. It's not the revelation of a man, even though your book might, your Bible might have added the title, um, the revelation of John the Apostle, but it's actually, if you read the scriptures, it says it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. What we're looking at today are the words of Jesus, and he's speaking to seven churches. Now, can I say before I read this very quickly that these were very, seven very real churches that were present during the time that John the Apostle had this vision of the future. As we're looking at this passage right here, we know that each and every church, these seven churches, had very um, faced hardships, persecutions, challenges. Some of the issues and problems the church was having were coming from outside. But uh, a lot of the problems were happening inside. And they were self-generated and self-perpetuated. So as we look at this scripture verse right here, we're looking at the church of Laodicea. We also realize that as we look at these seven churches, that it, we can see seven periods of the church. Since the outpouring of God's Spirit at Pentecost and documented in the book of Acts and the scriptures, how the church operated, we can see that these were seven real churches, but in the order in which they're addressed, we can see seven periods of, of history, of church history. So I want us to know today that the Lord, in his grace and in his love for us, really wanted to let us know that no matter what the church is going to be facing, I still know where I'm going, and I'm going to wrap this whole thing up. I'm going to jerk all the slack out of the earth and all the things that are going on and jerk the slack out of nations that are rising up against each other, and God's intention for humanity and for the world is for peace, the longing of the human heart. So let's look at Revelation chapter 3, starting to read in verse 14. Can I remind you that it says when it says to the angel of the church, it's talking about to the messenger or to the spokesman, or you could say it's uh, written to the pastor of the church. Not because they're um, better than anybody else, it's because they carry the weight of responsibility for their church. So here's what it says. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, right? The amen, the faithful and true witness, the origin of the creation of God says this. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have no need of anything. And you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I advise you to buy from me Gold refined by fire, so that you may become rich. And white garments, so that you may clothe yourself. And the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. And eyes have to apply to your eyes, so that you may see. 
Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. The one who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit with me on my throne. And I also overcame and sat with my father on his throne. The one who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So, Father, I want to thank you for the word of the Lord, and I want to thank you for the faithfulness of the Holy Spirit. If any one of us will open our hearts to you, then your word will be received. And so, Father, I pray that for each one of us, and we receive the presence of the Holy Spirit and the glory of God intended for the church. And so, Father, I pray, have your way, Lord. I, as Pam already asked you, Father, let me be hidden behind the cross that Jesus alone would be seen. In your name I pray, amen. So archaeology has proven that the story here given about the church of Laodicea is accurate. The church of Laodicea was on a trade route. If you were on that trade route, you would have gone to the city of Sardis. The church of Sardis was addressed. Then you would go through the church of Philadelphia, and the church of Philadelphia had been addressed. And then you would go through the church of Laodicea. Laodicea, though, had every reason that on that trade route they could accumulate some of the wealth that was passing through because they had some real advantages over some of the other towns that were poor on the trade route. We look at the church of Laodicea, we realize that the town of Laodicea was very, very wealthy. And this church was wealthy as well. We know something else about it. Still today, you can see they had these black sheep in that region. And from those black-haired sheep, they would make robes that they were proud of that were known the quality of which was, they said, those robes were raven black which if you know anything about dyes and wool or anything such as that, if the animal's not naturally black, you can get it to a, maybe a good gray. But these were jet black robes. And then we also realized that it was known for its advancements in medicine. So in characteristic of the accuracy of God's word, it reveals there that the Lord says, buy from me eye salve that you might see. And actually, the city of Laodicea was known for its production of ISAV for healing. So the Lord, you know, he always talks to us in ways that we can really identify with, and he does that with this church. But we find out that this church is very unique from some of the other ones because the Lord just actually comes right out and says, I need to rebuke you. Now, if we look at the order of church history and the periods of the church, we realize that this is the very last church, the very last period of the church that God's going to address. I believe that this church, the church of Laodicea, is the present-day church that's in the world today. And God says, I have a rebuke for her. But remind ourselves of this, that the Lord says, because I love you so much, I'm rebuking you. I believe that in the sovereignty and in the providence of God, you and I have been called to live during a time, very likely, where the world will experience things that will be hard for humanity to be able to get its mind around, and yet at the same time, 
God in his eternal wisdom, providence, sovereignty, decided that we would live in a generation where the Lord brings a rebuke only because what could be lost would be so great. And the Lord wants to call us back to mission. The Lord wants to call us back to paying the price for the gospel, for the advancement of the kingdom of God, even as we saw at the very beginning. The reason why I would even go in the, be open to the idea that these seven churches represent seven periods, because right after the addressing of the church of Laodicea in Revelation chapter 4, another thing happens. And let's look at that if you can. Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, it says, after these things, after what things? After these periods of the church, after these things I looked, and behold, the door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, come up here. And I will show you what may, must take place after these things. Immediately I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne was standing in heaven, and some was sitting, someone was sitting on the throne. So I think it's just, uh, it, there's some wisdom in understanding that the Lord is saying there will be seven periods that mark the church, and at the end of the seventh period, there will be a voice Heard by John is representing the church where the Lord says, come up here. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, doesn't it tell us that there will be a trumpet sound? This voice that said, come up here, sounded like a trumpet. Because in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it says, concerning those are asleep, don't sorrow like the world sorrows. Because there will be a trumpet, the shout, the voice of the archangel, and the dead in Christ will rise first. There will be a calling upward of the church. And here's the interesting thing. For us to be able to understand this book, we need to know this, that there is a time when God is going to be active through the church, through the believers. But then there's going to be a going up and then God is going to come back to the promises of the fullness of the restoration of all the prophets concerning the nation of Israel. God has not set the Jewish people aside. His promises to them are not null and void. He is a God who cannot lie. And when God has promised something to people, he will fulfill it. Over the last 2,000 years, for the most part, we find that the Jews have been wandering the earth. They've been scattered around the nations. But God promised that in the last days, he will not forget the Jews and there'll be a great ingathering. As I went on to the website of the Chabad uh, synagogue up in Aspen this week, I noticed that they're raising funds to help with the rescue of Jews that find themselves in Ukraine right now. So we're understanding that there is a gathering back. Why? Why is God bringing them back to the nation of Israel? To fulfill his covenant promise to them. In, in, in the book of Romans, the apostle Paul said to us that the Jewish people are like a, an olive tree. And because of unbelief, the natural branches of the olive tree. Unbelief of what? Of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. A prophecy had been given that he would come to his own, but his own would not receive him. And we find out that in this passage of, of, of the book of Romans, that the, the Jews would be cut off from the tree because of 
the, uh, their unbelief, but then wild branches would be grafted in. And you know who the wild branches are? It's all of you. And we all knew it already anyway. You're a bunch of wild branches that there's no reason why you would be grafted into the kingdom of God. And yet God during that season has allowed you to come in. But the Bible says this, is that the wild branches grafted in will always be in debt to the tree. The tree will always support the branches. The branches will never support the tree. The, the Christianity got so far off track because it was part and parcel to the persecution of Jews for centuries. And the Lord says that there's an honor that will always be owed to the Jews. So here we find that the last day's church is a church that is expecting. We are wild branches that are grafted in, but God is going to bring the, 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 the nation of Israel and to a Jews into the understanding of the Messiah, that he's the fulfillment of all things. So as we're looking at the book of Revelation, and we're going to do that not next Sunday, but starting after next Sunday, we're going to be looking at the days that the Lord has predicted will be the end of days. And you just say to yourself, well, why is it so dark? Well, it's not dark. It gets dark for a moment, but it's always darkest right before the dawn. And so we're going to see the glorious plan that God has for you and for the entire earth. Amen. So let's look at what, how Jesus identifies himself. He identified himself differently to every church. He's talking to the last day's church, and he says to himself that he's called the I am. I'm sorry, the amen. He says, I am the amen. And think about that. What is this word? Well, right here we find out that Jesus often used that word when he walked the earth because he would say to people these words, truly, truly. In your Bible, it might translate it that way. Or verily, verily, I say unto you. Well, he's using this exact same word. He's saying, I'm going to use an amen. When he says, I'm, uh, I am the amen, or he would say before he declares something, amen, amen, listen to this. And then he would declare it. And what he was saying is, this is the last word on the subject. This is the final say. This is the accurate thing. And here's the whole thing, is that he is the amen. First off, let me read for you in Hebrews chapter 1. Would you listen as I read this? God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets, in many portions and in many ways in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the world. When we we realize that it says that Jesus is the amen. It means this, that he is truly the revelation of God himself. The Bible says this, that in the beginning was the word. At creation, the word was there, and the word was with God, and the word was God. It is saying in that passage in John chapter 1 that Jesus was there at creation. He is the third person of the Trinity, and through the third person, the worlds were made. And so that means that it's, it's saying this, this, that he is the true one. He is the amen. He is the revelation of God. He is the word that describes God. Jesus said, do you know that when you see me, you've seen the Father? Don't you know that whatever I say, I, I, I say, I've already heard the Father say it. If you see me doing something, I've seen him doing it. He's saying this, I am the word, I am the amen, I'm the final say. Here's why he wanted to reveal that to the church of the last days. So that we would know this, that Jesus is still the amen of God. He is still the way, the truth, and the life. But also this, he is the last word. It doesn't matter what's going on in the world 
world today, Jesus is going to have the last word. Jesus said, all judgment has been given to me. I don't care who messes with you. I don't care who messes with our church. I don't care what they try to do or what they try to say. When all is said and done, Jesus will have the last word. And you know what? I don't care if I hear the last word in this life. I know that the day is coming where nobody, where we say, why does God let them get away with that? No one, myself included, is getting away with anything because God will have the last word. Can you say amen to that, right? And so as we're going, I don't know if you know this or not, but as of Friday, OSHA is now investigating our school. Get a load of that as if it's not enough. In spite of the fact that the Supreme Court decided that President Biden couldn't use COVID as a workplace uh, hazard issue. But in spite of that, if you remember, President Biden said it might have it shut down his policy, but you, uh, he encouraged local states and governments to continue to proceed with OSHA. So OSHA out of Denver has begun an interview process with all of our teachers because even though all the mask mandates have been dropped for the schools, because we didn't follow local mask guidelines when it was required by the, the County of Eagles. So, but you want to know something? You know who's going to get the last word? The Lord's going to get the last word. Even Jim Tarr's not going to get the last word. I like to think that he does, but he doesn't. Because Jesus will prove all things. The Lord is still the same yesterday, today, and forever. We got the same God that we're serving today. You know what? It says he's the amen and he's the, the true and the faithful witness. You know what he's saying there? The He is the witness of who God is. He came to reveal the Father. And the bottom line is this. He's faithful. He's faithful and he's true. And that means everything he was in the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, he's still the same. Jesus in all of his power, in all of his glory. If you and I, in faith, get a hold of the Lord Jesus Christ, he is a faithful witness. He isn't the one who had a good witness and a good testimony 2,000 years ago. He's saying, I want the church of the last days to know that I will show up when you cry out to me. It's true. Then he says he's the origin of the creation of God. Isn't it amazing that when he begins to talk about what's going to happen at the, at the end, he reminds the church, and let me remind you who I was at the very beginning. Because in John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, referring to Jesus. And apart from Jesus, not even one thing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. He's the origin of all creation. The one who started it all is the one who's going to wrap it up. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's A to Z. The very same power that was active at the creation is going to be the very same power of the changeless God who will wrap everything up. I think the most amazing thing that when we look at all of this is that all we need to do is align ourselves with God. Yeah, we might go through trials and struggles, but the bottom line is this, is that you and I are in an eternal relationship with the one who made the heavens and the earth. I have a little coal car that sits in the back of our property, and the other night 
and just go out there to pray. And I came outside and just looked up at the sky, the amazing Colorado sky. And then the Lord just reminded me, I'm calling you now to pray to me as the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. The God who made the heavens and the earth, he's unlimited in his power, in his beauty, in his wisdom. What should we fear with such a God? Can I remind you? What should we fear with such a Savior? The one who saves me, the one who keeps me, the one that holds me up every day is the same one who casts the stars into space and created the entire universe. If he can name the stars, which are inanimate, how much more does he remember my name, the one who's been created in the image of God? So amazing. What a Savior we have. And you know what the scripture is written for? He's calling us to live up to our full potential. Live up to everything that's been bought and paid for by the power of the cross. Don't lack in anything. And he's letting us know as well, whatever you do, don't substitute human wealth, convenience, and opportunity and say, oh, that's the blessing of the Lord. Because you can have all kinds of stuff, and yet at the end of the day, the Lord would say, but you are poor and naked and blind, and you need to be clothed. The thing about church is that God does not honor the thing that men honor. I'm telling you, the church in the world today can create the greatest shows on earth. And not that that would hinder people from knowing the Lord. And not that it's wrong. But if that's the substance of it, we have to look again to ask the Lord, what would you want from us? The Lord said to this church of Laodicea, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Strong words. I think it'd be better translated spit you out of my mouth because it's a direct reference to feeling. Hot and cold, they're feeling words. It's kind of odd because we don't think about how God feels and yet maybe we should ask the question, Lord, how do you feel? How do you feel about Cornerstone Christian Center? How do you feel about my life? How do you feel about my heart, Lord. Lord, in, in, when you draw me in, then what do you feel, Lord? The Lord says to them, I wish that you were either hot or cold. Now, when some people say, well, that just means the Lord is saying, I, I wish that on a hot day, you would be like a cold drink of water, or on a cold day, you would be a hot drink of water. And the people who use that argument say, surely God would not say, I wish you were cold or hot. He would just say hot, but... Maybe you could make that point, but I, I think that I agree with the, the, the greater number of people who suggest here that the Lord is reminding us that lukewarm water is water that has adapted to its environment and it reflects the temperature of what's around it. And that had happened to the church of Laodicea. It also, if you take that interpretation, it might be really um, good for us to think for a moment that the Lord says, I can work with hot people and I can work with stone cold people, but I can't work with lukewarm people. When you think about it in those terms, it's almost better to have never 
come into that deep relationship with Christ because the temperature all has to do, doesn't it, with how close you are to the flame. There are some people that have never gotten close and they're just cold as ice. But the Lord is letting us know that there's great potential there. If you're sitting here today and you're just saying, I, I know nothing of God. I, when it comes to God, I'm cold. I'm frozen, actually. And you, you look at yourself that way and the Lord says, yeah, but there's great potential. And then if you're on fire for the Lord today and you're hot and you're wanting to live for him with all of your heart and, you know, you could sing those songs today about, Lord, crush me, make me to be the sacrifice you want me to be. I'm all yours, man. Everything is yours. And, and, and those are wonderful things. And God's like, I can use that. But the Lord is saying if you're an individual who just has decided, I'm just only going to get close enough to where I'm tepid, the flavor is pablum, then the Lord would just say, when people get into that place, it's the most dangerous place that they can get. Lukewarm Christianity. Sunday morning church people. The Lord would call us to be more than that. I was, I, this might be irrelevant. I'm coming up with it at the moment, but one of my first issues with the county was years ago because they're going to shut down the entrances to the church here, and they said because there's only, there's, uh, we would only use it on su Sunday mornings. And I thought, well, why would the world think any different except that Christians only are serious on Sunday mornings? The Lord wants us to be so much more. You know, spending, spending time close to the flame, to the heat of God. You can't warm up instantaneously. It's a process, isn't it? It's exposure. It's exposing ourselves to God. Did you ever read the scripture where the Lord says, rend your heart and not your garments? He says, you know, you just picture yourself grabbing your sternum and rending your heart, like opening yourself up to God and saying, God, only you can take the chill out of my heart. But it's willingness and openness because he tells us here that the solution is to repent, which means to turn. To say, God, I want to be something different. As we look at this, I want to say today that for the cold man or woman that's sitting here today, God's got a fire, a fire to burn deep inside of your heart. For those of you who are on fire for the Lord and would say there was never a season where I loved him more or was more on fire, I would say to you, keep burning brightly for the Lord. For those of us who are lukewarm, I would just say, repent, as the Lord would say. Because of the solution, he said, is repent and be zealous. As ugly as the word zealous is in the world today, we talk about zealots, so they're so zealous. And, and yet, if you think about Jesus, who radically revolutionized dead religion, how did he do it? He confronted the powers that be, and he went into the temple, and he said, my father's house is to be a house of prayer for all the nations. 
He overturned the tables of the money changers and people profiting off of religion, who had turned religion into a money-making enterprise. And then how did he justify doing something like that? Because he said, the zeal of the house of the Lord has consumed me. The zeal of God. I'm telling you, there is no church that would satisfy the Lord that has lost its zeal. It's zeal for God. It's passion and desire for him. And Jesus looked at me and he says, because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have no need of anything, and you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Again, let me remind us that the Lord says, I'm saying this to you because I love you so much. And it's also because there's so much to lose. Do you know what churches now, if you watch what's going on in the messages in the Christian churches of today, it's nothing more than therapy sometimes with scripture verses added on. And we're asking ourselves what's happening. And it's because we are wretched and miserable. I'm telling you, the truth is, is that Christians can be as wretched and miserable as anybody else. And the bottom line is this, is because our highest desire and our position of our heart is not in yieldedness to God, if all of us, if we would just die to our flesh and desires and selfishness and all those things and just pursue God, we would be the happiest people on the earth. It's really true. We Christians have more marriage seminars than any other group of people on the earth. And you know what the problem is? The problem is that each man and each woman is not on the altar in their home laying down their lives before the Lord and then living selfishly for the other person. I mean, isn't that true? It's so simple. But the Lord says, you're so prosperous, but why are you so miserable and wretched? We are opening for counseling at the church. Please, if you call me, we're not going to judge you. But the Lord says, you're actually poor, and he says, you're, you're blind. And I, that word there for blind, I looked it up, and it means opaque, which means the cloudiness that can happen to the eye, that you, it, it's actually a word for um, nearsightedness. And the Lord says to this church, he says, you know you're nearsighted. You don't know, you're not even aware of what's coming. You're... You're, rather than being a house of shepherds, you've become a house of sheep. And, and see, the thing is this, is that I believe that God would call all of us to be shepherds. Because there's a whole world. Jesus said, pray to the Lord of the harvest. We need laborers. We need shepherds. He said, the people are like sheep without a shepherd. The thing that has astounded me the most in the last two years is that how willingly individuals created in the image of God were laying down their rights because they're sheep. And sheep look for the next blade of grass, but shepherds look to the horizon as I was rebuked by a leader, a Christian leader, I'm sorry for bringing it public, but I'm kind of done with a lot of things. And he just said, you know, get off the news, Jim. We don't have faith in the news. I'm like, hey, who are you talking to here? Of course I don't have faith in the news, but I'm a shepherd. 
A shepherd's looking to the horizon and he's wanting to know what's coming so that when the Eagle County Health Director puts a link to his transgender agenda and they're calling it a health issue, then I realize that the health department that says I have to mask will also eventually tell me that I have to teach our children a transgender agenda. How do I know that? Because I'm looking at the horizon. I have no intention of sticking my head in the sand waiting for some unexpected thing to happen when it's way too late. So if you ask me, Jim, why on a mask? Is a mask a moral issue? Absolutely, a mask is not a moral issue. But it was tied to a whole lot of other agendas to violate the human liberties and freedoms that you and I have because our foundation of our nation was built upon a Judeo-Christian value. And from the pulpits of America, the message of liberty and freedom went forth. And if they were willing to preach it back then, then we need to preach it today. For the sake of the value of freedoms and liberties that we all have, we have to fight for it. I digress. Anyway, here's what the Lord says. You're rich, you say you're rich, but you're poor. You're blind, you can't, you have no, let's admit it, most of the churches can't see beyond the four walls and what's happening within. And if they had a good Sunday, then it was a good day for God. But the truth of the matter is, isn't God's vision so much bigger than that? Going beyond nearsightedness, and he says you're naked. He's saying this, Everyone can see your flaws and faults. Everyone sees it. Clarence Larkin, who wrote a commentary in the book of Revelation, I'll quote him about three times today, said, the church of Laodicea was not burdened with debt, but it was burdened with wealth. Sometimes we're tempted to think if we only had, so, if we only had more money, we could be so much more effective. Oh, our outreach could be so much greater. We could, reach the, we could reach the whole country if we had more money, and the Lord would want to correct that kind of thought because we realize all we need is more of the Spirit of God and more power. It's all you need. That's all you need. The church of Laodicea had a lot of gold, but it wasn't the right kind of gold. They bought in people's gold. They were convinced of the beauty of their gathering, but the Lord said, no, it's wretched. And it proves once again that everything that glitters isn't gold. And so I think that what we need to realize today is that the Lord would say to us, you need gold tried in the fire. Now, for me, I, I want to say this. Listen, this sounds, I don't want to sound arrogant, I swear to you. But I'm going to share with you a dream, and you've all heard it. I'm going to share it again. Because I believe that what the Lord is saying to us is that it was spoke, it was, I dreamt it in 2016, and that the Lord was speaking to the messenger or angel of the church to let him know our gold was about to be tried. So I had a dream, and in this dream, I saw the people of our church were all gold. I didn't recognize any of them, but in my dream, I knew they were our church. And the Lord, I think, wanted to keep it vague and not specific. 
that it would be open to anybody. So they're all gold, and then suddenly, bam, bam, bam. And I sat up in the bed, and my heart was pounding in, um, immediately because it was so loud, and I didn't know whether it was a dream or real, but I thought it was real. Not sure, and I walked to the front door, and I opened the door, and there's no one out there. And I thought, well, our headboard is against an exterior wall. Walked out there. No one was out there, and I went back to bed. And by then, I saw that the dog was still curled up on the corner of the bed, and I realized it wasn't a physical knock. It would be barking. And then, by then, Pam's awake, and I said to Pam, I said, Pam, is the message where the Lord gave to the church to get the gold refined in the fire? Because, see, I was thinking about all of you were carrying the gold of the glory of God, Christ, and God's heavenly wealth was being seen upon you. I said, is that the one, same one where the Lord says, behold, I stand at the door and knock? And she had a Bible on the cell phone, didn't need to turn the light on. She read it, and, and that was it. To confirm that dream, that happened in 2016, because we felt like the Lord told Pam and I, and it had nothing to do with who was elected, but three days before the inauguration, we felt the Lord say, go to the inauguration. And so God opened up a door, provided for us for free, the Ritz-Carlton right by the White House. And we were, we were there. We ordered tickets for the inauguration. We went into the office. You have to pick him up at your congressman's office. We walk into the receiving room. Off to the right was his personal office. I had never seen one before, so I kind of took a peek in, and the woman said, come on in. I could tell by the pictures on his desk that it was his wife, and what was meant to be just a hello ended up being over 30 minutes of a conversation and prayer together. But as we were standing there talking, before just greeting, and I was, we were going to just say hello and leave. And I said just two things. Will you deal with the issue of human trafficking, particularly the human trafficking of children? And secondly, would you defend Israel and be a friend of Israel in Congress? And he said, oh, let me tell you about a dream I had when I was in Israel. I was staying at the King, the King David Hotel, and suddenly as I was falling asleep, I heard bam, 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 a knock, sat up. Looked out the window, no, no one out there, no one at the door. His dad had an adjoining room. His dad didn't do it. He laid down again, bam, 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 sat up, heart pounding. I knew the exact feeling. And I said, Congressman, you don't know me, but maybe this is why I shared it in church, the dream just a couple weeks ago. You can go online and you can see that I had the exact same dream. He says, everywhere I go, I'm asking, the, asking people, what do you think that this dream meant? And so I told him about this church of Laodicea. I said, it's a wake-up call. And I said, I believe you had it in Israel because God wants you to be a defender of Israel, some things that just happened in the UN. All that to say that I believe that God somehow decided that he was going to awaken me to walk through a season that our churches had to walk through. And we've, it's been, for some of you, stretching, embarrassing, awkward, threatening, as our teachers were threatened with jail time. All of those things 
And yet at the same time, I want you to all know that we are not the gold that God wants unless we're gold that's tried in the fire. For each and every one of us, it's a willingness to say, God, I will not live conveniently. If you call me to do something and it stretches me way outside of my comfort zone, if it takes me outside of my nearsighted worldview of my existence, if it causes me to confront or to say or to do something I've never had to do before, if we decide I want to live in a way that is a little less confrontational, a little less uh, living with conviction, that is lukewarmness. It's tempering the message. It's tempering the mission. It's tempering the example we're handing off to our children who are going to carry the baton after we leave. If we're not willing to embrace the fire of the trial, the trial is the closeness to Christ. It's the crushing of the grapes to produce the wine, isn't it? It's the refining. See, what's wrong with the gold that they had was that there was uh, gold that needs to be refined has a lot of other earthy materials in it. And the earthiness of their faith needs to be taken out so that the gold of the heavenly place will be completely revealed. Our value is in the heavenly demonstration of who God is and the power of God. So the Lord would say to each and every one of us, we're living. Now, you can say the wrong thing and get canceled. I'm looking at a brother who, because his children go to our Christian school, lost a lot of his business. And I know that, but here's, here's the truth. You know what you did? You embraced the fire. That tries men's hearts. And the Bible says that when the fire comes, it's more precious than gold that perishes. It's more precious. If you and I, remember I told you when the virus hit, and I was stayed in the, on the property that the Lord gave me one verse of Jeremiah chapter 25. And he said to me, Jim, I will silence your peaceful folds. The Lord says, if you try to navigate this season peacefully, he also told me this will be way bigger than you ever could have imagined. And I had no idea. But the Lord just says, if you try to take the path of least resistance in the most peaceful direction, I will silence your church. I have no intentions of propping up something that's lukewarm. And each and every one of us in this church have to learn to live that way. And I know that some of you in your businesses, but what about even in our testimony when we declare who Jesus is? Man, don't be ashamed of that name above every other name. It brings fire, but fire produces the heat that takes us out of lukewarmness. So he said, buy for me white robes. You come to church in your beautiful raven black, beautiful robes, and the Lord just used it as a metaphor. You know, when you think about it throughout the book of Revelation, it describes the robe that Jesus wears as white. And he says, I want you to wear white robes. In other words, I don't, don't try to live like the culture around you. He says, it's causing a nakedness. 
You know, it's like, and it, isn't it true? We have, with social media and television and internet and all these things, there are so many things that want to defile our robes. And I'm not going to try to turn us into some legalistic, puritanical, um, though the Puritans were great people that got corrupted. But the thing is this, is that it, it's time for white-robed Christians that when people see us, they see Jesus. And then he says, by the eye salve that you might see. You just say, Jim, how do I do that? And I just would say this, ask him for it. Do we have the courage to ask him for the fire? Who? Do we have the courage to ask him for the white robes so that there's no more defilements of this world and stains of sin? When people look at me, they see Jesus. And then ask him to begin to show you. I believe that never before the church of this day has to have spiritual eyes to see and discern what's going on. Yes. So, to those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Therefore, he says, be zealous and repent. Repent doesn't mean wearing sackcloth and ashes or whipping your back to identify with the sufferings of Christ. To repent merely means this, turn around. How many times have I asked the Lord, Lord, come, come to our church, pour out your spirit. Lord, come to my heart, do something. And it's, when you think about it, that's blaming him for the lack of power in the church or power in my life. The Lord says, you repent. He says to us, oh, Lord, make me more zealous. And the Lord says, be more zealous. What he says, be zealous. God, give it to me. Okay, be it. We know how to get there. We got the word of God. Men and women filled with the word, praying in the spirit, praying with the understanding, pursuing the Lord, worshiping him. So then he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him. And he with me. What's amazing in all of this is that there is actually the possibility of a church where Jesus is outside. That's astounding. A lot of times that scripture verse is used for an unbeliever. He's standing at the door of your heart and he's knocking and you can invite him in. I believe it could be used that way because that's who he is. It's revealed. But He's saying, I'm standing outside the church and I'm knocking at the door. Now, the amazing thing is, is that they had church and they didn't even notice that Jesus wasn't there. We've gotten so good at what we do that he doesn't even need to show up to have a good church service anymore. Someone mentioned that Jesus came to the earth and he was excluded by his nation and then he came to the earth and he was crucified by the world through Romans. But the saddest thing that's ever happened is that when he goes to church, sometimes he hasn't been let in. Now, what a thought. I pray that we would have eyesight to see whether we're doing this thing in vain or whether it's the real deal. So I stand at the door and knock. And here's what he said. He didn't say, and if the angel of the church will lay it, they see it will open the door. 
He didn't say that at all. He said, if anyone. We live in a day of the church where the Lord's just saying, if anyone. The Lord is just saying, I'm calling each and every individual that lays claim to being born again and part of the family of Christ to be opening up their heart to him. The last day's church cannot say, the condition of my heart is due to the level of my church. The Lord calls each and every one of us to the responsibility to be on fire for him, to live for him, to speak for him. Not just Sunday morning church where God gives me the opportunity to edify you, encourage you in the word of God, but that actually, you know what? We need to get to the point where Sunday morning from 10 to noon is the least activity of the kingdom of God on, in the Roaring Fork Valley. And then when we go out of here, we release the spirit of God and the power of God. How do we get Jesus back in? He says, if anyone hears my voice and opens a door. He said, I'll actually come in and dine with you. I'll fellowship with you. We could have the Lord's Supper, and he's not even at the table. That's kind of amazing. But he says, he'll fellowship with us. And then he says this to the one who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat with my father on his throne. So in two weeks, I'm going to be starting... Um, the series of the book of Revelation on the last days. There are different views. Some people believe that the church is taken up. I lean that way at the beginning of the seven-year period of trouble. Um, I want to prepare you in two ways. First off, that he could come before we all get home today. But I also want to prepare you for, no matter how bad it gets, God is on the throne, and he's going to wrap things up. He will have never lost control. He is sovereign. He will providentially lead you. He will supernaturally provide for you. He will grant you angels to protect you. And if, like many great, powerful men and women of God, we should even be called to lay down our lives as what happens in the book of Revelation, we know that the Lord has says, to, says to us that we will sit together with Jesus on his throne as he has sat with his Father on his throne. It's going to be Father, Jesus, and us. It's worth every sacrifice, everything, man. Let's, do you want to be the church that Jesus isn't standing out at the top of the steps knocking on the door? Or do we want to be the kind of church where the people say, I know that Savior. I've had dinner with him many times. That's what he has for you. That's what he has for me today. Please embrace the idea that God led me to lead you to believe that he's called us for this hour of trial, but so that we might be the church he wants us to be. Amen? Amen. Let's all stand up today. God, we bless you and we thank you for the privilege and opportunity to serve our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
the one who died upon the throne, uh, died upon the cross and is seated upon the throne. Thank you for the call to rule and reign with you in your kingdom. We love you, Lord. If you're here today and you don't know your condition or state before God, I just want to call you to give your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. I said if you're lukewarm, um, you're the most difficult, but I never said you're impossible. (laughs) If you say I'm so cold and far from God, from the flame of the Lord, you wouldn't even believe it if you knew. And I'm just saying, God's saying there's great potential there. You give me your heart. I'm going to ask people who've never met Jesus Christ as a personal Lord and Savior. If you don't know without a doubt, I'm not talking to have you, do you wear the label of Christian? I'm not asking if you were baptized, catechized, if you were taught Sunday school or anything. I'm asking, do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? And have all your sins been washed away? On May 9th, 1965, I gave my heart to the Lord on a Sunday morning service, and I I walked forward in that church in front of everybody, and my heart was pounding. But I was so indelibly marked by the salvation offered through Jesus Christ that I was never the same again. I've been through highs and lows. I've been seasons where I was strong. I've had seasons where I was weak. I had seasons where I walked righteous, and I had seasons when I walked unrighteous. But the bottom line is this. I met Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior, and he's never left me, and he's never forsaken me. And if you want to give your heart to Jesus today, if you want to begin living with eternal life today, if you'd like to me to include you in the closing prayer, would you just lift up your hand? But if you lift up your hand, I'm going to ask you to come forward in front of everyone here today. It's not a formula, but there is something that breaks our pride Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father who is in heaven. So if you're here, you never met Jesus. Coming in here without Jesus, it won't change anything. Listening to me, it won't change anything. Here's the one that can change your life completely. It's the person of Jesus Christ moving inside your heart. If you want to meet him today, would you lift your hand up so I can see it? And just saying, I want the Lord in my heart. Just, I see your hand right there. Is there someone else? Just lift up your hand just saying, I want Jesus as my Savior. The two of you. All right. Anybody else? You want to give your heart to Jesus today? You want to make him your Lord and Savior? I see your hand right there too. God bless you. God's doing something amazing in that family right there. God is good. It's not a formula. The formula was that Jesus Christ became one of us and he lived a pure and holy life. Then he bore the punishment for our sins, which he didn't deserve, so he could take our punishment for us. He died, he was buried, he descended into hell. That was our path and our journey. But he preached his victory and he rose from the dead and he's seated at the right hand of God. And he wants to receive you today as a son and daughter. For those who raise their hand, let's all pray this prayer together. Say, Father in heaven, thank you for Jesus, your only son. You sent him to be like me, to die for me, to bear my sins, to buy my salvation. Lord Jesus, 
come into my heart wash me clean of all my sins forgive my past my present and my future from this day on Jesus Christ you are my Lord and my Savior I get off the throne of my heart you sit there thank you for eternal life in Jesus name amen if you raise your hand would you please come forward today confessing him before men God bless you No, stay here. We're going to pray for you. God bless you. Love you. God bless you, brother. Father, I just want to thank you for the faithfulness of the Spirit of God. You knew this day before you made the worlds. You love them and you've drawn them. Their whole life is in preparation for this. You are the one who's so able and so powerful that you can cause all things in their lives, good and bad, to work together for good because they have just said today, I love Jesus Christ and he's my Lord and Savior. Father, we receive our brothers and sisters into the family of God. We pray, Lord God, that they would grow, they would get stronger. You reveal yourself to them. You would open up the scriptures to them. You would teach them to pray. God, teach them to love, to forgive. We thank you for each one of them, Lord God. And I pray, Father, keep their feet strong all the days of their life. Thank you for hearing their prayer today in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you guys. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you. For sure. Thank you. Amen. God bless you. We've, been, we've had church today. What do you think, huh? Father, I just pray, Lord, that you would bless each one of these people that is here today. Do you pour out your spirit upon them? Let them be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Let a spirit of boldness and courage fall upon them. And Father, I pray, Lord, bless the roof over their head, their vehicles. Bless their children, grandchildren, their great-grandchildren. Bless the animals and the plants in their care and everything that needs nurturing. And I, and I ask, Lord God, that you would bless their their prayer time, and their time in the word of the Lord. Bless their relationship with you and bless all their relationships. Bless singleness and marriage. And I thank you for it all in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 If you need prayer today, our elders are going to be here in the front. Please come forward. Let them pray for you. God's not just here to save. He's here to deliver. He's here to heal. He's here to provide. There are so many needs, I know, but God can fill that need. So please come forward. Don't leave carrying that burden. God bless you all. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. This weekly podcast can be heard on our cccbasalt.com website, the CCC Basalt app, or your favorite podcast platform. 
If you'd like to support our efforts financially, you have the opportunity to give at cccbasalt.com forward slash give.